Okay, so we are going to continue on with our sermon series, uh, The Fruit of the Spirit. What is the fruit of the Spirit? And so uh, the fruits of the Spirit, what the Spirit produces in us, um, can be broken down into these types of fruit uh, shakes here, which is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So these are the qualities that God will produce in me as I follow him. And I think at the same time, these are qualities that I would like to have. So these are things that God produces in me. And I think most of us would like to have more of this in our, our life. And so with this, I want these and God produces them in me. You and God work in tandem to produce the fruit in your life. And working in tandem with God is what we would call discipleship. And so discipleship is really important in that that's kind of my relationship with Christ. He's the uh, teacher and I am the student. And Jesus' last words, at least in the book of Matthew, is the Great Commission. And he says, go and make disciples. And so this idea of discipleship is not just some fleeting idea, but Jesus says to go and make disciples, that that's the goal, that we're to both be disciples and to go and make disciples. So we're, we're working with God as students, and he is our teacher. And so this idea of discipleship, one of the things that we do is that I intentionally devote my time to God. And, and I was thinking about this and I was just having some, a conversation over here about like when you're trying to grow stuff at your house. So how, using my time intentionally, um, how many of us go and get some seeds from the store and we want to grow tomatoes and you just take the seeds and you just throw them out anywhere in your yard. You're just like, well, I'm just going to throw these out here. See what grows, and then you don't water them, and you don't put fertilizer. You put, or you just throw fertilizer all around, and you water some parts of your yard and, and not others. And that's not how any of us do that. We're, we, most of us are very intentional. Like, I want to put my seed here. I'm going to make sure my seed gets a lot of water, and I want to make sure that the soil is really nice, and that there's earthworms, and that the reading sun will not destroy them like they do Pastor Sean's tomatoes every year. So um, the way in which we see discipleship, or I do, and I think it's very important, is the way in which we use our time is very important in our relationship with God. Because again, the fruit of the Spirit is what grows inside of me, but I have a part to play in the way that I orient my life and the way that I use my time. And so the way that I would break this down, or we break it down here at the church, is first up, we, we prioritize our time in terms of spending time with the Father, our up relationship, and that would be prayer, that would be reading uh, scripture, uh, that would be medita meditating on scripture, it would be fasting, and then we have in, and that we have our relationship with one another, the church community that following Jesus is a team sport it's something that we're supposed to be doing with other people that the church is an integral part of our relationship with God and then we have the out component of our relationship with God which is what is our mission how are we helping out those who need to be helped how are we sharing the gospel with those people that don't yet know him so again this idea of discipleship the fruit of the spirit is something that God does in me but we also do together and I want to be in very intentional in the way in which I use my time uh, so that I can become more fruitful because anyone knows that if you're very intentional with your tomato plants in theory they should bear a greater amount of fruit 
And that's what we're looking for uh, in our lives as well. So the key text that we're going to be looking at or working from uh, of the fruit of the spirits comes from Galatians 5. In this book, I'm just doing like a one-sentence overview. In this book, Paul is explaining the difference between someone who tempts to live by the law and someone who is a new creation in Christ or is led by the Spirit. So in Galatians 5, um, 22 through 26, Paul says this, But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Let us not become conceited or provoke one another or be jealous of one another. And so today what we're going to be looking at is, is the fruit of joy. And I'm just going to, in short, uh, break down what it culturally, what do what does our culture see joy as, and then biblically, what is joy and then how do we cultivate the fruit of biblical joy in our lives I mean I think that when we're talking about cultural values of joy I think joy is something that we value I mean when we think about just the word joy how who wouldn't want more joy in their life it's a pretty simple question you're like I will take more joy but when we think about what's the difference between cultural joy and what's the difference between biblical joy um, I think in many ways our culture associates joy with joyful experiences like our joyful circumstances that I need to do things that um, make me joyful and so I think just some simple examples of this like vacations when I think about vacations this is a joyful moment for me I'm away I don't have to deal with the responsibilities of life we're at the beach the kids are getting along swellingly everything is going well the camera person is perfect all these things um, or we have places where we can go and there's right joy to the world and we have these these places we can go and we can experience uh, joy while we're there um, or just you know in terms of like uh, social media having these moments of joy or seemingly everyone is happy on social media all the time having the best day of their life and they look really good and so they look very joyful and so do these things bring joy and I would say yes um, Disneyland I would probably be smiling for the most part when I, I like going on vacation to the beach and all these things these are not bad in and of themselves um, but do they bring what the Bible means about joy? Um, last week I talked about love, and one of the things that I have brought up in terms of love is that our culture is really fixated on like romantic love, and that's a part of God's love. Um, but that um, one of the things I brought up is that a, a wedding is not a marriage. And this is very true for anyone who's been married. <laughs> Like a wedding is beautiful, and you see this, and on the one hand, you're like, you're celebrating, like, yes. And then on the other hand, you're like, wow, there's a lot that's going to happen in your lives to stick together. So, a wedding is not a marriage. So, when we think about joy from a cultural perspective, these events are fantastic, but I think godly joy goes a bit deeper. 
So when we think about what is God's idea of joy, I think it hinges on biblically just relationships. Um, the image that we're given in the Bible to describe our relationship with God very often is uh, related to a wedding, which is marriage. Like this long-term devoted marriage. Like These guys here, they've been married 80 years. I was looking at this, I'm like, homeboy's just missing her lips completely, okay, right? And I don't think it matters. <laughs> this has happened so many times to her, she's like, whatever, right? Like, Bill's just doing his thing. Um, but there's something deeper in there, this long-term marriage. And that's how our relationship with God is described very often, that we, the church, are the bride, and he is the bridegroom. Um, so again, a wedding is not a marriage, and in reality, a marriage is filled with joy and suffering. And for all of us, no one needs to amen next to their partner, um, but that, this is just something that we all know. And, and, and I don't know that suffering is bad. Um, should God take away my suffering? In reality, um, biblically, the answer is no. Which is really kind of wild. Like, oh no, I'm going to follow Jesus so he's going to take away my suffering. I don't know, if you read your Bible, I don't know that that's how it works. What he does do is he brings meaning to my suffering. I don't suffer for nothing. I'm suffering for something. And at the same time, he can, if you're willing, produce fruit from that suffering. The pruning. Right? These are examples that we have even from Scripture. He prunes us to make us even more fruitful. And so on the one hand, you're like, yeah, I want to be more fruitful. But, you know, being pruned has got to be kind of tough. So and in, then even in marriage, why do I suffer? Um, as a, right, I have this job and then I'm also a therapist. So I see a lot of folks in marriage counseling and I've been married 23 years. Um, why do we suffer in marriage? And if I were to break it down just to a couple of things, I mean, there's really, when, I, when people come and see me for marriage counseling in my own experience, there's only a couple of things that people really wrestle with, even though they feel like there's this myriad of things. Um, communication skills. I want something. I don't necessarily how to know how to communicate about it because I might be embarrassed about it. And so instead of communicating about it, I act out on it, and I'm passive-aggressive about things, and then I, I don't know why my partner's acting that way when I do passive-aggressive stuff. Um, selfishness, I just want what I want when I want it. And you will give it to me. Uh, and then just kind of like immaturity, that I haven't necessarily grown up through the various stages of life. I mean, one of the things that um, John Wimber, the founder of the Vineyard, would say, help me to grow up before I grow old. Because you do not emotionally have to grow up as your body grows old. You can emotionally and intellectually uh, remain a child as your body grows old. Growing, maturing is a choice. So the outcomes of suffering, because I suffer through these things, can actually be really good. I can become a better communicator and I can become more mature. That's what suffering brings in my life. So when my wife and I argue, uh, I have to ask myself, well, why is this happening? It surely can't all be her fault, like most of it is. But I have to, like, I have to take responsibility for some of this. So what's my 10% in this, right? And so in that, then I can grow. And so as I grow and mature, that's reason for joy. 
because I want to grow. I want to mature. Um, so, and at the same time, the culture's pursuit of joy isn't without suffering. I mean, this is for sure, right? Like, look at this sister. She's just trying to keep it together, in the, right? And the siblings are like, well, I'm just fighting. And she's like, I got this. I'm holding tough, right? She's the firstborn, keeping it all together. Um, Right? And so even social media, right? I use social media. I receive attention. I get a dopamine hit, right? This whole thing that's going on. There are a lot of studies out there right now that talk about the massive increase of depression in teenage girls. And they're starting to correlate it towards uh, when the phone started to be able to have like the front facing cameras where I could actually see what I looked like before I. It's not a joke, right? So even like this idea of the culture's idea of joy, there's a shadow side to that as well. This is one of my favorite um, pictures of all time. One of my favorite artists, Norman Rockwell. You guys ever seen this? So this is his picture, his painting of the family going on vacation. You can see up top they're going on vacation. Dad has like a full cigar. Mom's looking good. Kids are outside the window. The one kid in back, he's the bad kid, making fun of the cars behind. And then the grandma, she's kind of just stoic. She's kind of doing her own thing. And then everyone coming back is on the bottom. Dad's hunched over the wheel. Mom's asleep. Kids look a little tired. The fisherman kid, he's burnt out, and grandma hasn't changed at all. Right? Grandma's like, she's a seasoned vet. But this idea, I mean, how many of us have said, I think I need a vacation now that I got back from vacation? Like, you're exhausted. You're like, isn't that supposed to be restful? It's so weird. I'm burnt out. So biblical joy isn't centered on or experiences. It's centered on a relationship, a relationship where God expects us to grow in him. And so how do I cultivate or mature in biblical joy? Because that's more centered on a relationship in that my, uh, my joy depends on God and that Jesus is our example. In Nehemiah uh, chapter 8, verse 10, it says this, Nehemiah said, Go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks, and send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is holy to our Lord. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So this idea that the joy of the Lord is your strength. Like, where do I get my joy? Well, the joy of the Lord is my strength. Very different to our culture's idea of chasing joy, per se. So, if the joy of the Lord is my strength, what is my joy dependent on? Well, it's dependent on the Lord, because that's where my joy comes from. And if my joy is dependent upon Him, here's the thing. Like, all these things are moving, and they, you know, the things that we chase after... These experiences, they're not necessarily dependent um, or dependable, per se, or constant, whereas God is constant and dependable, and his love for me is not conditional. Now, here's the thing. When we think about the joy of the Lord is my strength, I, and this is for all of us, we are loved unconditionally. There's nothing you can do to make God love you more or love you less. He loves you. You're accepted. You're accepted today, no matter what it is that you did last night or the thoughts that you're having today, you know, during church service or any of these things, that you are accepted wholeheartedly. You're chosen, like God chose you. 
everyone here, that you're forgiven unconditionally, no matter what it is that you've done. You're forgiven. That you're empowered by Him all the time, all of these things. And so the Bible says all of these things are true. So my joy is not dependent even upon me. My, my joy is not dependent upon the right circumstances. My joy is dependent upon who God is. And he is unchanging. He cannot lie. His promises are true. He is faithful. He does not change. And he cannot lie. So the joy of the Lord is my strength. And so even... In the midst of my suffering, God is good. Um, one of the examples that I've heard, um, for those of us, everyone who's wearing a button-up shirt, have you ever buttoned your shirt and then realized that it was kind of like messed up and you're like, oh man, I messed up, I, didn't, I, I got this all wrong. Well, one of the things you can do is if you just start with your top button and you button your top button, right? And then all, everything will line up perfectly fine. So when you think about, you know, um, having to join the Lord and all of these things and him being dependable, you know, if I start with my top button and that God is good and that God is faithful, God cannot lie, he is constant, he, can, he does not change, then everything else in my life will start to line up. All the other theologies that I have about him or life or myself, all these things. If I start up here, that God is good and that God is faithful and he can't lie and he's chosen me and I'm accepted and I'm forgiven. These things, if I have this part right, then all of these things will start to line up. One of the things that I've shared about before, you know, I had a, we went down to Santa Cruz to start a church down there. It did not work out. Um, after that, I think I was depressed for about three and a half to four years, three, probably three and a half, well, whatever. A long, long, long enough, long enough to where I didn't want to get out of bed. I didn't want to see people. The first time in my life where I ever gave myself permission to not say hi to people. Like, you know what? I don't need to say hi to you. I didn't need to spend time with people. I was just in a bad way. It was me and Chewing Tobacco Red Man. We hung out all the time. And during that time, I never lost sight of the fact that God was good. I'm like, God, I know you're good. I, I know you're good. And it's not my fault I'm going through depression. I'm just going through being depressed for a long period of time. But knowing that he was good and knowing that he was unchanging and that he does not lie helped me to trust him and know that, God, you're, you're helping me out through this and you will help me out through this. And I just need to grab hold of you because you're good and I know that you're good. And he got me through that. And not only did he, but this church, friends and family. Again, the joy of the Lord is your strength. So when we talk about biblical joy, it's centered on who God is and not necessarily my circumstances. One of the things I think is interesting, that one of the earliest Christian symbols that we find, right, because you see different in, in uh, um, uh, paintings or engravings and all these things, you, most of us would probably think that the earliest Christian symbols are like the cross. When in fact, one of the earliest Christian symbols is uh, anchors. 
Which is interesting, because most of us, if we were to do a quiz, would say like, oh, the cross. No, not really. The anchor. And they would have fish, because we're supposed to be fishers of men. And oftentimes they would have a cross in there, but it was the anchor. And this was really important to the early church, because they were anchored to God. They were anchored to him. That in the midst of the storm, whatever was going on, they were, what, were, what you were anchored to is very, very important. Take that as an amen. <laughs> Hebrews 6, 16 through 20. People swear by someone greater than themselves, and the oath confirms what is said and puts an end to all argument. Because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs of what was promised, he confirmed it with an oath. God did this uh, so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled to take hold of the hope set before us may be greatly encouraged. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul firm and secure. It enters into the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner Jesus has entered on our behalf. He has become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Again, we're anchored to, what are we anchored to is a good question, but biblically we're meant to be anchored to him. He is unchanging. He cannot lie. He loves us unconditionally. There's nothing we can do to earn that love. We are loved and therefore when we know that we're loved, who hasn't felt joyful when they know that they're loved? Um, and last, we're going to kind of jam through this because I want to get to the exercise. Jesus is our example of a joyful life. We generally don't see or think about Jesus as being joyful. And here's the thing. I went through a lot of work, man, to try and find one picture that kind of looks kind of okay. Because a lot, of the, a lot of the paintings and stuff they have of Jesus, he literally looks like he's from the Bee Gees. When he's, it's so funny. I'm like, these ideas that we have of what Jesus looked like. But he generally looks like a hippie from the 70s. But anyways, most of the pictures that we have of Jesus are not of him smiling. I look at a lot of pictures. I love looking at old artwork. I have slides every single Sunday. I would probably say like 98% of the photos and pictures we have of Jesus are, are not of him smiling, which is interesting. But Jesus had to have been a joyful person. Um, obviously, there are scenes with, you know, Jesus with kids, and he's not like frowning and sad and angry, and he's like, get out of here. Um, he had to have been joyful. Because anyone who's ever spent time with a bunch of kids running around and they're not your kids, you're joyful. You're like, this is great. Where are the parents at? <laughs> it's awesome. I'm bailing now. So we know he was joyful. <laughs> All right. Hebrews 12, 1 through 4. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witness, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Considered him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. So again, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Biblical joy is not the absence of suffering. Biblical joy infuses suffering with meaning. This is very important. And so when we think about this, how can Jesus be, be joyful? Because he knows he is about to suffer. Well, 
is very similar to a woman who gives birth. I'm pretty sure it's 100% universal that they're suffering in birth. But there's joy. And when the baby's placed on your chest, it was all worth it. So there, we can't have joy knowing that we're going to suffer because the, we know that the suffering will bring about um, joy, meaning. So one of the fruits of the Spirit is joy, uh, but not joy as the world defines it, fleeting, dependent upon best outcomes. The joy of the Lord is your strength. So amidst the waves of life, we anchor to him. He is our rock and my relationship with him brings me joy. So we're going to wrap up here. Um, what we're going to do is there's three by five cards on the pews. There should be some around you. Again, we're going to do a question for Jesus. Now, just hearing from him. Uh, one of the things that I've been uh, reading through a bunch of like Jesuit. Um, I've been reading this Jesuit author, and they have a lot of practices that they do. They do exercises. And so when you think about like getting stronger in some area of your body, what do you do? You exercise. And, and what do you do? You, if you're getting better at a sport, what do you do? You practice. And so we just exercise and we practice. Uh, exercise connecting with God, practicing connecting with Him. It's not about getting it 100% right, and there are no right answers. What we're going to do is we're just going to, I'm going to put a question on this the screen and if you want to you're just going to ask Jesus this question and he's here with us the Holy Spirit is here with us God still speaks this day and what you're going to do is you're just going to write down what you feel like Jesus says to you and if you have difficulty hearing the voice of God then whatever comes into your mind first granted that it sounds like Jesus um, then you write that down and then we're going to pass the cards forward and then I'm going to read them um, you don't have to put your name on there and, and I'll read it anonymously because this is a communal practice as well because we don't follow Christ on our own we follow Christ together as a community does that make sense so I'm going to put the question on the screen we're just going to take about a minute very quick meditate on it for a moment and then um, write down your answer Do you want to help me yeah. grab them? You just want to go down. Yeah. And if you just want to pass them into the center aisle, if you, if you did it, if you didn't participate, don't worry about it.
book. Yeah. It's all right. Awesome. Thank you. Holding everybody up. All right. Again, we're just asking him. Um, thank you. Um, Jesus, where have you given me joy this week? Jesus has given me joy in seeing uh, personal growth in one of my students. Bring um, with sending my wife going walks, uh, going walking with you. Starting to work out at the gym. Thank you, Jesus. And learning from my mistakes. I talked with my cousins who I rarely see, knowing that as they are years older, that I may not see them again. Death and life uh, will see them uh, as well as parents. In knowing that you have a plan for my children. Dinner with friends, helping with a colleague move in, reading about uh, maturity and immaturity, if I got that right, hopefully. Enjoying grandkids and laughing. My dog. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, I put a song in your heart that made you smile all day. That's interesting, huh, to think that you can put a song in Jesus' heart. An expectant mother, uh, her spouse, and their toddler, age two, came to our house yesterday. The boy was just so adorable. Returning home in my work. In seeing those around you and being reminded that you are not alone. Being employable again with my friends and my family. You have given me joy in you, Jesus. Inward peace, the power of saying no. I have opened your eyes in the love of my family. Music and feeling permission to be creative. I'm in the middle of a miracle. Connection with others, seeing good even in the midst of imperfect circumstances. In visiting with my neighbors. I've had joy this week when spending time with children. Um, true exercise in all ways, the mind, the soul, the body, and the flesh. Jesus, where have you given me joy this week? Last night at the worship service. Pretty cool. Very simple exercise. You just ask them a question and then just see what happens. All right. We are going to, we take communion every week as a community together. Communion is the sign of the covenant that Jesus put forward to his followers that on the last night before his betrayal, he took a loaf of bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body broken for you. Now, the reason that Jesus' body need to be, needed to be broken 
uh, was that our bodies are broken and they are stained by sin. He's the only one that has come down whose body was not broken, but he allowed his body to be broken for us so that we could be like him. And then he took a glass of wine and he said, take this, this is my blood poured out for your sins and that uh, for our past or present and our future sins and that we eat of the bread and then we drink of the wine. These are the signs of the covenant. It's this body and blood. We, we eat it. It goes into us, meaning that Jesus is inside of us and that the kingdom of God is inside of us. Um, very profound. It's not just crackers and wine. It's so profound. Communion. Um, the way that we do it is that if you are a follower of Christ or if you would like to start following Jesus today, what you do is you come down the center aisle, you'll grab a piece of the cracker, you'll dip it into the wine, you'll hold on to it, and then you go around the sides like this so we can have the flow of people like this. Uh, hold on to it, and then we will take communion together. So if you would like to take communion, please come forward. <clears throat> Jesus, we thank you for your death for your life, for your example. Thank you for choosing us. Thank you for giving up so much so that we can have what you have. Thank you for that. Lord, help us to see you more and more each and every day to be able to know how loved we are in you what unconditional love really is and feels like. Thank you for that. Let's partake. stand if you want prayer for anything after the service feel like you don't have enough joy in your life uh, or something else that you feel like you need help with traction with Bible talks about brothers and sisters laying hands on one another and that the Holy Spirit does something powerful on all that so we'll have some folks up here that will love to pray for you um, if not I'm just gonna pray a prayer blessing and then um, you can go on with the rest of your day. Lord, we thank you <clears throat> for this time together. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for the gift of brothers and sisters in the church to be able to journey with together. We thank you, Lord, for your blessing amongst us all. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would fill us. We ask that you would demonstrate to us again and again your love and that you would open our eyes and our ears to the things that you have for us that we too could go out and be a part of the harvest that is ripe and share your love with those people that don't yet know you. And so we thank you and we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, if you want a prayer, please come on up.